Well, our sermon text, uh, I almost said this morning, this evening, uh, we're still going through 1 Timothy and we're into chapter 3. We're going to read the first seven verses of 1 Timothy chapter 3 and we're going to focus tonight mainly on verse 1. Uh, we're going to take a few weeks to go through it, I think, Lord willing. But if you're able to do so, I'll invite you to stand out of reverence for God's word as I read the scriptures this evening. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Give ear to the word of God. Paul writes, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, if you uh, were there here last Sunday, or if you listened to the sermon online, we looked at 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 to 15, and there the Apostle Paul teaches us uh, that women are not to exercise authority or teach uh, over men in the church. And so you could say that in that passage, at least to some degree, what Paul was doing was telling us who is not to hold office and authority in the church. Well, here in our text this evening, Paul goes on, to tell us what kind of man is qualified to hold office in the church, specifically the office of overseer or elder. It's not an accident that what we read in our text this evening follows right on the heels of what we looked at last week. Those two things are connected. They're not, you know, sometimes you read the, the chapter divisions in your Bible and you get kind of the false impression that there, there there's distinct segments that have nothing to do with what went before it was written as one long letter, and each thing follows into the next. Um, that's why Paul really says in the text, then, or, or therefore, very often times. So this, this follows right on the heels of what we looked at last week. And here he, he's telling us basically what who it is that God would have to teach and exercise authority in the church. John Stott writes the following. He says, this remains a vital topic. In every place and every generation, for the health of the church depends very largely on the quality, faithfulness, and teaching of its ordained ministers. And he's talking about ruling elders and teaching elders there. So I think that's something that's that's a good reminder for us when he says the health of the church, the well-being of the church, in every age and every place, depends very largely on the quality, faithfulness, and the teaching of its ordained Ministers, And so seeing how important this topic is, even though we might not always think about it very often, seeing how important this, this subject is for the life and well-being of the church, uh, Lord willing, we're going to take our time going through these seven verses, maybe take a few Sundays and kind of unpack it a little bit at a, at a time to see what these verses have to teach us about the elders and overseers of God's church. And the first thing I think we need to see, and it may, it may not be hitting you over the head in the text, but the first thing I think we need to see is the, the vital importance of elders and overseers. The vital importance of elders and overseers. Look at verse 1 once again. Paul says, The saying is trustworthy. 
If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires, the ESC says, a noble task or a good work. Now, Paul, you might have heard me say this before. Paul uses that formula, this is a, a trustworthy saying, five times in the pastoral epistles. We saw it already in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, where Paul said, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of all accept, full acceptance. And what is that saying? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. We're going to see it again in the next chapter in 1 Timothy 4, verse 9. And it happens two more times in 2 Timothy and Titus as well for a total of five times. So this is something Paul says from time to time in his writings to Timothy and Titus to impress upon them the importance of what he's about to say. You know, everything the Bible says is true. Everything the Bible says is authoritative and sufficient and inerrant. But sometimes Jesus does the same thing. He'll say something like, Assuredly I say to you, that doesn't mean that other things Jesus said weren't true. He's saying, take note of this. Take special note of what I'm about to say. And Paul, I think, by the Holy Spirit, is doing the same thing here. So when you read this phrase, even though it's a repetition, don't do what we often do. We often are tempted to think, oh, you know, it's just Paul you know, using a, a phrase that he always uses. It's Paul's way of saying, sit up and take notice. This is of special importance to Timothy and to the church that he was serving in. Paul is, is saying this to impress upon us the great importance and the seriousness of what he's about to say. John Calvin says this was Paul's way of telling us, quote, what he is going to say now is much more weighty. And so we should pay close attention to what Paul is going to say here about the appointing of pastors and how the government of the church is to be ordered. The whole book is about the order in the church, but Paul wants us to sit up and take notice, especially about this one particular thing about elders and how important they are and about how a good thing it is for someone to aspire to the office. You might know, uh, Paul doesn't just talk about this. He doesn't just say, hey, elders are really important. The Bible tells us a couple times it was Paul's practice to install elders, plural, more than one, in every church. No church is to be a one-man show. Look at Acts 14.23. Acts 14.23, Luke writes, it says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they, that's Paul and who was with him, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So think about the book of Acts and Paul going around planting churches, preaching the gospel, establishing churches. What did he do in every place? He appointed elders, more than one in every church. He didn't just leave the church high and dry when he left town. He made sure there was someone there to teach them the essentials of the faith, to guard the church from error and false teaching, and to guide the church. Now that, that word there in that text for elders, uh, ironically enough, and elsewhere, the word elders in the Greek is, you'll, you'll, it'll ring a bell when I say it, it's presbyteros. It's where we get the word Presbyterian from. And what that means is to be a Presbyterian is to be an elder-run church, a church run and governed by a plurality of elders, by more than one person. It's never safe for a church to be a one-man show. There's no safety in that. You know, we, we talk about safety in numbers. Well, when it comes to the church, that that is true. So you, you could say that Paul was a Presbyterian and that Paul in the first century taught and and practice Presbyterian form of church 
government, not just that, not, not only did Paul do that himself, Paul also passed that practice on to Timothy and to Titus. In Titus 1.5, right early in that letter, this is what he writes to Titus. He says, this is why I left you in Crete. This is why he left him there to work. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. And what was that? He says, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. This was something Paul, this was almost job number one. After preaching the gospel in a town, when a church was established, a local church, Paul saw to it that there were multiple elders appointed in every church in every town. And as if that weren't enough, as if, you know, that that should be enough, that should settle the matter for us once and for all, but what about Jesus? In Ephesians 4.11, Paul there tells us that the risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ is the one who gave some to his church to be pastors and elders, he said, or excuse me, pastors and teachers, Ephesians 4.11. Pastors and teachers, we might think of them as, well, we appoint them. We ordain them. We, you know, we choose our pastors. We choose our elders. But, but who actually gives them to the church? We don't make elders. Technically, you could say that we don't even ordain them. We ordain them. But who really ordains them? The Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who gives some to be pastors and teachers. That word pastors, it means shepherd. So he's not just talking about the person up front doing the preaching. It's the elders both ruling elders and teaching elders. Well, what about the Holy Spirit? In Acts 20, verse 28, the Apostle Paul is is talking to the elders from the church in Ephesus, the very ones that Timothy was dealing with when Paul wrote this letter. And what does he tell those elders in Ephesians, excuse me, in Acts 20, 28, Paul says to them, pay careful attention to yourselves. Notice they had to watch themselves first. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. And then he adds this, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Who makes a man an overseer of God's church? If he's a true elder and overseer, the Holy Spirit. Christ gives them, but who who makes them? The Holy Spirit does. He says, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And he says, To care for the church of God. There's the most basic description of the job of an elder. That's a very broad description. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Christ bought the church with his own blood, and his Holy Spirit made men overseers for his church. Now, they may have been appointed to the church by the hand of Timothy or by others, but who was it that made those men overseers and elders? It was the Holy Spirit, and it still is. That's not just an early church thing. It's the Holy Spirit that makes a man an elder. And without the Holy Spirit's gifting and qualifying, no man is an elder, whatever his title may be. Now, what is it that makes elders and overseers so important to the life of a church and the health of a church? It's the work that they're called to do. That's what makes them so important. It's not their office, not the dignity and importance of an office. It's the work that they do in putting their hands to the plow, so to speak, the work that God has called them to do. And in fact, in our text, it might not hit you over the head, but that's really what Paul emphasizes in our text. In verse 1, the ESV and other translations say, if anyone or if any man aspires to the office 
It says the office of overseer, he desires a noble task or a good work. Well, it could more simply be translated as if a man aspires to oversight. The word itself emphasizes the work of the office more than it does the actual office. He's saying if a man desires to do this work, that's the point. Many men might aspire to an office. Not many men aspire to the work. And the point is the work. It's the work itself that's in view, not the preeminence or prestige of the office. Let every man who occupies the office of elder or who aspires to it remember that it's the work to which he's called. And it's hard work. And there's always much work to be done. It's not an easy task. And as if that weren't enough, what does Paul say at the end of verse 1? He says, if any man aspires to this, it's something men should aspire to. We shouldn't have to bend someone's arm behind their backs. God, God equips them for it. They should want to use the gifts God has given them. But he says, if any man aspires to this task of overseeing God's church, he desires a what? ESV puts it a noble task. It's literally a good work. The most simple translation of the phrase is he desires a good work. Even the way Paul puts it emphasizes the fact that it's work. It's good work, though. It's God-pleasing work. Now, we have to be clear as to what it is that Paul has in mind in our text. What is the office of overseer? Who is he talking about? What is the office and the work that he is talking about? The King James renders verse 1 there as the office of a bishop. Now, bishop is just another way of translating the Greek word, and it's been, that, that word has been twisted around in many church circles to indicate that there's a kind of a hierarchy in the church government that is not the case. A bishop is an overseer. That's all he is. It's not, it was never meant to be a separate title than elder or overseer. Later on in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 to 25, Paul uses a different word. He uses the word elders, presbyteros, there in those verses and elsewhere. And uh, Now, some of those elders did and some did not labor in preaching and teaching, chapter 5, verse 17. That's why in the PCA and elsewhere we distinguish between two kinds of elders. They all have to be able to teach, but we have teaching elders and we have ruling elders. Not every elder preaches, not every elder administers the sacraments, but some do. But all of these terms, bishop, overseer, elder, pastor, they all refer to one in the same office. We don't have 15 different offices in the church, we really have two. Or three, depending how you slice it. If you, do, if you divide elder into teaching and ruling elder as two separate kinds of offices in some ways, in some ways that's what we do in the PCA, but really it's a two-office view. And all these terms, bishop and overseer and elder, are about one and the same office, as distinct from only deacons. An elder is an overseer or a bishop. The term elder refers kind of to the dignity of the office and to the character quality of the person holding it. Very often, even in the Old Testament as well as in the New, it was someone who was a little bit older. That doesn't mean you just have to be old. You have to have all those character qualities and qualifications. But usually it's someone older. It's not, like he says, not a recent convert, not an especially young man in most cases. And the term overseer or bishop speaks not of the person, but of the function or the work. That is to be done by the elder, and that is overseeing and caring for God's church. Well, what is the work of elders or overseers of the church? There's a lot, a lot that we could go into. I won't go into all of it tonight. 
what does it mean to watch over the church or to rule well, as Paul says in, in chapter 5, verse 17? Now, I already read Acts 20, verse 28, where Paul tells the elders of the church of Ephesus to pay careful attention to themselves and to all the flock. Now, what was it they were to be paying careful attention for? What does Paul tell them in Acts 20, what they were to watch out for? Both from, even among themselves. He tells them to be on the lookout for savage wolves. He tells them he had warned them night and day with tears that they were going to come. In fact, you could almost sense the idea that Paul saw himself as when he was removed from the scene, they would come flooding in. And he was telling them what to be on the lookout for. He said savage wolves, fierce wolves would not spare the flock. That they would speak twisted things to entice members of the flock of God's church to follow them astray to their doom. He said even those, some of those wolves would come from within the church, even from among the elders. That's why he says, first of all, keep watch over yourselves, plural, and over all the flock. And so you could say the elders and overseers of the church, they're kind of the sheepdogs of the church. They're the under-shepherds of the church that are watch out for and guard over the church from false teaching and false teachers. That's why one of the qualifications for an elder or overseer in verse 2 is he must be what? Able to teach. That doesn't mean he has to be able to preach. They don't all have to be able to preach and be up front, but they have to be able to teach the truth of Scripture. This work of the overseer tells us something of the kind of man that we are all to be looking for when we look for an elder. Not just a teaching elder or pastor, but a ruling elder as well. We must ask ourselves whether or not a man who would be an elder would be able to guard God's church against false teaching and false teachers. That's one of the chief roles of an elder. And so what I would encourage you, whether whether you'll ever be an elder or not, maybe you're aspiring to it, maybe someday in the future you will be, how do you how do you become able to teach? Well, the Holy Spirit has to be working in you to gift you that way, but study God's word. How do you know what false teaching is? You study God's word faithfully and regularly so you understand what God's word teaches. So when you hear a false teaching, the warning bells will go off, the red flags will go up. In our particular denomination and, and background, I would say study the Westminster Standards to know the system of doctrine that's being taught in the scriptures so you'll be better able to spot a counterfeit. If you might aspire to be an overseer either in the short term or in the future, it's a good and noble thing for you to aspire to. You must make it your aim to be willing and able to guide God's church and to guard God's church against the wolves. And so you need to be a student of God's Word. If you're not a student of God's Word, you are probably not, at least not now, called to be an elder. If studying God's Word and coming to understand it better and better, until you might be able to instruct others, is not something that's on your radar, maybe being an elder is not quite yet on your radar. Hopefully one day maybe it will be. Hebrews 13, 17 goes on to give this exhortation to the church. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. In other words, their job is really hard if they're doing it. 
So let them do it with joy and not with groaning. The elders and overseers of the church, that's the pastors and the ruling elders, what is our job? Our job, you could say in general, besides just caring for the church, is to keep watch over souls. That's not easy. It's not easy to keep a watch over your own soul, much less other people's. And we'll have to give an account for it, of our care for the, our care for the flock. That's a very serious calling, and one not to be taken lightly. It's a sobering task. That's why, and we'll get into this in future Sundays, Lord willing, that's why those qualifications in verses 1 through 7, as brief a passage as that is, are so strict. And that's why so often when those qualifications are disregarded, bad things happen. I don't know about you, I've been to, I've been a member of churches in the past where those qualifications were not held to. And bad things happened. It's hard enough when you are qualified, much less if someone is not actually cut out and equipped by God to be an elder. Well, the last thing, not just the work of the elder, but aspiring to the office of overseer. The vital importance and work of elders and overseers is, is why it's such a good thing to aspire the, to the office. Maybe when I was talking about the work of the elder, you thought to yourself, I don't think I want that job. I don't think I'd ever want that job. What kind of man would be foolish enough to take that job? Right, Rob? But, uh, but no, but it's, but it's a good thing. Oh, you're, you're stuck now. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to, to, when Paul says it's a good thing to aspire to. It should not be something we run screaming away from. It shouldn't be something that we use false humility to stay away from. We shouldn't desire it for the dignity of the office. We shouldn't desire it for for pride's sake or selfish motives or to have the appearance of authority or to be an important person. That's never to be the case. But if you desire it for the right reasons, for God's glory and to care for Christ's church, it's a good thing to aspire to the office. Our young men... Many of our young men should think about this and aspire to that office. They should look highly on the office and work of the overseers and elders of the church. We should let them do their job with joy and not with groaning, as the writer of Hebrews says. We in the church should be on the lookout for those whom God might be preparing for the office of elder or overseer, and I will add even deacon as well. We should encourage them in their aspirations to it and not discourage them. We should encourage them in their preparations for it. We should look for their character qualities and qualifications spoken of here and elsewhere in the scriptures, such as Titus chapter 1 and elsewhere. If you aspire to the office of overseer or elder, provided you don't do it for selfish gain or for sinful vanity, you aspire to a good work. It is a good thing. Paul would encourage you, and I hope we would do this well, to encourage you to aspire to that good work. You should not be in any way ashamed of aspiring to it if your desire is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in his church and use the gifts that God has given you for the good of his church. The church always needs godly gifted elders and overseers and deacons. For Christ's sheep need to be cared for and protected from wolves. And it's the elders of the church that God, that Christ himself, has provided for that very task. Now, maybe you're sitting here, I know when I was a younger man, this is what I would have been thinking. Maybe you're sitting here thinking to yourself, I'm never going to be an elder. So why do I have to care about this? Does this, does this text apply to me if I'm not going to be an elder? And you might be quick to think, no. But I would say it does. These very character qualities you read of in, in chapter 3 
aren't just for elders, although they are a requirement for elders. You might never be called to serve upon as an elder or an overseer or a deacon. In fact, I, I, I can say this, I think, on the authority of Scripture and just sanctified common sense. Most of you will never be elders for one reason or another. Most of you will probably not become teachers in the church. Many of you are probably very relieved to hear that, that you don't have to stand up front. I used to sweat buckets up here. But uh, but there's a great deal in our text that applies to you just the same. First, how will you recognize those whom the church should ordain as elders and overseers if you don't understand the nature of the office, the qualifications Paul speaks of for that office, and the spiritual nature of the work to which the elders of the church are called to do. Your view of what an elder is and does affects everything about who you're looking for to hold that office and do that work. On top of that, again, look at those qualifications again in verses 1 through 7. Every one of those godly traits listed there by Paul isn't just about elders. Every single one of those things is to be the sincere aim and pursuit of every believer in Christ, including you. Every single one of us should aspire to all those things, with maybe the exception of the ability to teach. But even then, you should want to understand God's Word. We, we you know, we don't, we don't, we're not Roman Catholics. We don't have implicit faith. We don't just say, well, you know, I believe whatever the church believes. You should be seeking to grow in grace and grow in the faith and knowledge of Christ. Every one of those character qualities and fruits of the Spirit should be able to be said that they characterize us, every one of us, more and more by the work of the Holy Spirit within us. If you're a child of God, all those traits are to be spoken of you. If you're a Christian, not just an elder, if you're a Christian, you must be above reproach too. Verse 2. Every Christian should make it our aim to be above Reproach, every Christian should live chastely outside of marriage and faithful within marriage. When Paul says a husband of one wife, we should all think about that with our own state. Every believer should make it our sincere aim to be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. It's a must for elders, but it should be the same for every church member, every Christian. Every believer should manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. All those things should characterize in increasing measure every Christian by God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit. True, the officers of God's church must be exemplary in those things. You'll never find one perfect in those things, but exemplary in those things. But those things must characterize every Christian with no exceptions. That is, that is the standard. That is to be our goal. They are the fruit of the Holy Spirit's sanctifying work in our lives. Hebrews 12.14 puts it this way, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. He's saying strive for it. Not just strive for peace with everyone. Strive for holiness. Make that your goal. Without that holiness, no one will see the Lord. In closing this evening, I'd like to read a brief quote uh, from David Dixon, his outstanding book, The Elder and His Work. I commend that to you if you've ever, never read it before. It's a great book. Dixon lived in the 19th century, 
Sounds like a long time ago, but it really wasn't that long ago. He served the Lord as an elder for over 30 years of his life. And in that book, The Elder and His Work, he writes this. Dixon writes, We need no new machinery in the Christian church. It is all provided ready to our hand in the Presbyterian system. He means having elders. What we need is motive power to set it going and keep it going. We need the baptism of the Spirit to fill us elders with love and zeal that we may labor in our office and that the work of our hands may be established. You know, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I sure have in my years. Churches are always looking for the next big thing. They're always looking for the next trick, the next thing that will make them grow in number or some such thing. They're always looking for the shortcut or the next big secret to growth and effectiveness. But God has already ordained for us in the church the ways and the means through which he is well pleased to work in and through his church. And they're very simple things. They may not be easy things, but they're simple things. He has given us the outward, what we often call the outward and ordinary means of grace. That's his word, the preaching of God's word, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, the fellowship of the church, and prayer. That's how God has normally chosen to work. Acts 2.42 paints that picture for us very clearly. So the outward and ordinary means of grace. But the second thing he's given us is the spiritual gifts and offices that he has given to his church. Elders and deacons. God uses those gifts. The gifts he's given to every Christian as well in the church. God uses those things to build his church to perfect us and make us grow in grace and grow in the faith. That is how God himself has chosen to work in building his church so that the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. And so we should not be looking for every new secret, every new thing. We should be looking at what God himself has set in place for us. Dixon is right. We need no new machinery. We need no new tricks. We need to be faithful to what God has called us to do and given us for the work he has chosen for us to do as his people. That's how God has chosen to work. May he equip us in this church and every other church with godly elders and deacons and make us useful more and more for his glory. Let's pray.